seriously, Target called us yesterday about 3 o'clock. Said, we're not going to be open in the morning. We're like, okay, we can applaud that. You know, taking Easter off, that's a, that's a good thing. But what about our donuts, you know? It's like... <laughs> and uh, I think the, the Henses were doing it the last, last month for us. I don't know if you know how the donut thing works, but I don't ever... I don't mess with it. The DeSalvos like plan and and people volunteer for the month and they just get them and bring them and thank you. Thank you. Everybody thank them. Uh, But I called Ed and I'm like, Ed, Target's closed tomorrow. He goes, I was March. I'm not April. So I called the DeSalvos, and I'm like, uh, who's on for April because uh, Target's closed? And they're like, uh, Ryan McCall is, Ryan that was just standing here. And I'm like, texted Ryan, Target's closed. We're trying to figure out what to do. And he goes, oh, one of my best buddies works for Taylor's. I'll call him. Really? <laughs> Texted me back, no problem, we got him. So thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of us this morning. So... Uh, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty cool little ministry there the donut team does, and that I don't have to worry about it. So, uh, speaking of uh, being closed this morning, Pinheads is closed this morning until like 2.30. So, it's kind of cool to, to watch the different businesses be closed for Easter on Sunday morning at least, and uh, letting their people worship together with their families at church. That being said, I've got till 2.30. We are in no hurry today. <laughs> we might get to Maundy Thursday in this whole gospel section today. So, uh, no, we're not going to get past Tuesday. So, uh, the, the child care team won't let me do that. So, we're glad you're here. Thanks for being here on Easter Sunday. And for those of you that are regulars here, you know that on Christmas and Easter, uh, we celebrate, there's no question that we celebrate, but just the idea that you can only take two days out of the year to celebrate Jesus is just insane. That we're able to celebrate his birth, his life, his death, and that he's risen again. And not only that, that he's not only risen again, but he's sitting there with his heavenly father and they sent a helpmate to live inside of us. And that's what we truly celebrate each and every day. So, as Ryan was saying, we're working our way through the Gospels. I didn't see any reason why we should pause from that, uh, but the Lord's like worked it out to to work the whole Easter thing into this. And we're going to pick up where we left off last week. Last week we were in the middle of John chapter twelve, the verses um, about twenty through fifty, and I stopped at verse thirty-seven because Jesus had just. Uh, been talking to them about what was to come and obviously talking about the Pharisees. If you haven't been a part of this series, for three years Jesus has been walking the face of the earth talking about that he was the Messiah. Yet the leaders of the Jewish nation, Israel, the Pharisees, all believed that Jesus wasn't the Messiah. They expected some superhero to come in and save them from being exiled to all the different countries that had happened to them back in Egypt, back in Babylonia. Even today, they're exiled. 
I'm talking about today. It hasn't stopped. So they've waited for their Messiah to come in and save them and rescue them and bring them back together. And Jesus was born in a manger. And we just found out that he rode into town on a donkey as the Messiah. Really, this is not our Messiah, they're saying. And Jesus is saying, look, you, you've chosen, you've chosen not to believe. And today, as we pick up where we left off, you're going to see that Jesus focuses on their unbelief. In verse 37, it says, Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. <laughs> there's, there's three miracles that were considered messianic miracles. That the Pharisees, the Jews, the Israelites had said, you know, we've not been able to do these miracles. We've been able to do a lot of miracles with the help of God, with God's power. But there's three that we haven't been able to do, and that's heal a blind man that was born blind. They weren't able to do that. Never able to cast a demon out of a mute, someone who couldn't hear or speak. Never able to do that. And they were never able to heal, heal a leper. Well, we've already seen that Jesus has done all three of these. In fact, he's done them like multiple times. The first time he healed a, a leper, a Jewish leper, he had to go back to the priest and, and get certified that he was healed. Jesus sent him back. It's kind of a funny thing. Look, I'm sending you back to the priest. No one's ever seen this before. That's the first marker that says, I am the Messiah. Jesus did all these, yet they still did not believe. And in fact, so opposite of their belief that they said, Jesus, you're, you're a good man, and you're a good teacher, but these miracles that you're doing, you're doing them under the power of Beelzebub. You are doing these under the power of Satan. We call that, blasphemy of the spirit that they literally told jesus that he was of the devil and it was at that point when they said that that he cut them off now watch this this is important they're the ones that didn't believe that was their choice they had a choice jesus sat here and said this is me this is who i am I've proven who I am. I've shown you all these miracles. Now it's your choice. You can believe me or you can believe that I'm not the Messiah. They chose unbelief under their own free will. They chose that. He says, they did not believe in him. Verse 38 it says, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, who said, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is a direct quote. This is a direct quote from Isaiah 53, 1. 39, it says, this is why they were unable to believe because Isaiah also said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. 
Now, that's, that's a hard, hard little passage there because it talks about the hardening of their hearts. Understand this. It sounds like it said, Isaiah said this many years ago, but so because Isaiah said it, we have to make this happen. No, the Lord knew it was going to happen, told Isaiah, and Isaiah said it. And so this was a fulfillment of this prophecy that happened hundreds of years before. Isaiah said they are not going to believe. They are going to make their own choice to not believe. Now, it says he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. You can go back throughout the scripture and you can see all over the scripture, even back to like when Moses within the, was with the Egyptians. And it said God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That sounds like a pretty mean God, right? That he would harden Pharaoh's heart, that he's going to harden the whole nation of Israel's heart from seeing the message, the truth. Well, just as I said, he gave them a choice. They're the ones that chose not to believe. And I believe what hardening means when God says he hardened their hearts is that he literally gave them the power to follow their own will. When he says, God hardened their hearts, if this is what you choose to believe, I'll even give you the power to believe that. To cut you off so that you don't see this. Now, I sit there and say this is for the whole nation of Israel, but we can clearly see that there are some Jews that actually believe that Jesus was the Messiah. There are even some Pharisees. We have like Nicodemus that, that believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So it wasn't just like, Everybody's cut off, but if they chose to believe, then they would have salvation. If they chose not to believe, God said, all right, we'll just make this easier for you not to believe. We'll harden your hearts. You won't see this, especially if you're going to accuse my son of doing these things under the power of the devil. Now, watch this. I believe, uh, I believe that God knows... We talked about this Thursday night in our small group that in the beginning God put us on a timeline, but then there's this God timeline where there's just a continuum of time from beginning to end all eternity. That's hard for us to like think about here. It's a little deep there. But God knows who's going to repent, who's going to like actually believe that he's the Messiah. So when God hardens their heart, he does that really out of the foreknowledge of his understanding. But watch what it says back in Luke 7.30. It says, but since the Pharisees and experts in the law had not been baptized by him, they rejected the plan of God for themselves. Whose decision was it? Their decision. They're the ones that had already decided this isn't for us. Jesus is not for us. They made that choice. Verse 41, go back to John chapter 12, verse 41. It says, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about them. Nevertheless, many did believe. Many did believe in him, even among the rulers. 
But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Now that's a conundrum. That you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, yet you're so intrigued with what man thinks about you that you're not going to let anybody know that you believe he is the Messiah. There were those who would not believe, and there were those who would not openly confess Christ, even though they had believed. Uh, just as I mentioned, Nicodemus, uh, another one would be Joseph Arimath- Arimathea. They belonged to that group initially where they believed and they didn't say anything, but eventually they came out and confessed their belief that Jesus was the Messiah. We see that in John chapter 19 later. In the early church, you get to Acts, you're going to see several Pharisees and even the priest uh, that were among those numbers that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but they weren't going to mess up what they had established. It was the old struggle between the glory of God and the praise of man. That's really what they're dealing with right here. It was costly to be excommunicated from the synagogue, and these secret believers basically wanted the best of both worlds. How do we do this? In verse 44, Jesus cried out, The one who believes, how many times has he said believed here in this passage? The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. That would be God the Father. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. If you see me doing these miracles and you see me doing these things and saying these things, you're seeing the heavenly Father. He says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me believes. Everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Pause. I did not come to judge the world, but I came to save the world. Jesus stated that his purpose here was to save the world. That doesn't mean that he doesn't ever judge. He didn't say that. My my purpose in coming here was to save the world. Verse 4, watch this, stay with me. Verse 48, it says, The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sins has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. These people, Jesus is saying, by rejecting Jesus and his word, these people who are unredeemed, these people who are literally sinners, actually are passing judgment on themselves because of their unbelief of the word. Yeah, the there will be a judgment. The we talked about this several weeks ago about the, there's two different judgments. Uh, those in this room that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's your Savior, uh, you'll face the judgment seat, which is different than the great white throne judgment. Great white throne judgment is for the unredeemed, 
And that's what he's talking about right here is this great wife. If you don't believe enough even to confess, then you probably will be judged. That judgment seat, don't worry about it. It's all good. Because at this point, we're, we're, we're going to be judged based upon the things that we do. And anything that you've done in your own strength goes away. But everything that you did in the Spirit, Jesus doing it through you, that's the cool part. That, that's, that's what the whole judgment seat's about. That's another story. You have to go back and listen. Verse 49, For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I have said. I know that his commands is eternal life. Now, it seems like you might have a, a contradiction here. I go back to John chapter 5, verse 39. And he says, you pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, and yet they testify about me. He's talking about that. You have to understand the Jews, they were given the law. Back in, back in Exodus, they were given the law, and they feel like they're special people because they were given the law. And they've memorized the law, memorized the law. they live by the law, everything is about the law, knowing the law. There's a difference here, what Jesus is saying. The difference between the two words would be logos and rhema. Logos is actually the word and having knowledge of the word. Rhema is actually having revelation. Like uh, right now, if, if you're sitting here and you're listening to me, you can obviously uh, understand what I'm saying verbally. But the question is, in your hearts, do you hear the message that is revealed to you, that's not done by me. That's done by the Spirit that resides in you. I, I, I really believe that from if you start over here and go across the room, there's probably a hundred plus messages that have been heard already in this room that I didn't even like teach. We call that rhema. We call that revelation, that the Spirit is working in this room and it causes you to think and understand and process even beyond my verbal communication. You go to Romans chapter 10, verse 17, it says, So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Jesus Christ. So the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus is saying, everything that you've heard me say, everything you've seen me do, it all comes from my heavenly Father. I'm so in tune with my Father. That everything is done that you've seen is him. And then uh, we jump to our next story is Mark 11, verse 19. It says, when evening came, this was Monday, the, it was actually the 10th of Nisan that all this occurred. It says, when evening came, they would go out of the city. I'm assuming they went back to Bethany where they kept going back and forth during the week of the Passover. Now, last week I talked about when they came into town on the 10th, that Monday, they passed a fig tree. Remember the fig tree and Jesus cursed the fig tree? I quickly said, uh, Todd, did those pictures load up? They didn't load up again. That's two weeks in a row. Uh, 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 so this fig tree had leaves on it, but it didn't have nodules. At the Six weeks before the actual fig comes on, there's a nodule that grows on the tree, and that's actually an edible piece of the tree. And so if they could take that, that 
nodule, they would know that the tree is producing fruit. But Jesus cursed the tree because he says, you're not producing any fruit. You're sitting here claiming that you're a fig tree, but there's no fruit. And he cursed it. It was an example of what the Pharisees, the Jews, had been doing all along. That they say that we're followers of God, yet there's no fruit produced here. And so he cursed it. So now he's gone in, spent the day at the temple, and he's went home, and we get to the next day, and it says, verse 20, early in the morning, now it's Tuesday of Passover week, the 11th of Nisan. As they were passing by, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. Jesus and his disciples, his guys, are walking back by the same fig tree that they had the day before when Jesus cursed it. And all of a sudden, this tree is dead. It says, then Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed was has withered. It's like died. And Jesus replied to them, <laughs> He just turn, He simply turns to his disciples and he says, have, have faith in God. Meaning it's that simple. Have faith. Faith doesn't come from what you know. Faith comes from what God reveals to you. He says, truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Man, this verse gets battered big time by Christians. Lord, let me tell you what I want. Lord, let me tell you what I need. Lord, you said, if I asked for it, that you would provide it the question is what is the mountain i would say for everybody in this room the mountain is a different thing i'm literally looking at the majority of you in this room and i know the mountains that you're dealing with and they're different The question is, do we have enough faith? Do we have enough faith to move that mountain that we're dealing with in our life? Here's what I know. Is that faith does not come from me. It comes from God. And if I want more faith, I need to know the heart of my God. And the more I know the heart of my God, the more I'm going to understand the mountains in my life. I, I literally wish that I had enough faith to move your mountains for you. It's possible. And whoever you, whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. 
And then verse 26, it's in some passages, uh, in some translations, but it's not in some translations. It says, but if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your wrongdoing. (laughs) Now, that's confusing. Uh, let's let's, Let's break this thing down right here, because he just switched from talking about faith to talking about forgiveness. Uh... Uh, our forgiving spirit that lives inside of us is just one evidence that our hearts are right with God and that we actually want to obey His will and it and then it makes it possible for the Father to hear us and to answer our prayers. We can go back to Psalm sixty-six, eighteen, and hear David talk about that. What I know is this, is I go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, and I know that faith works by love. It says in Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Faith working through love. How do you we know that we are disciples of the Lord for your love for one another. That doesn't mean that you go out and you have to like love everybody. It just naturally happens. Like in this room, I get it. I get that you're followers of Christ because I see the way that you love each other so well. It doesn't naturally happen. It's not our duty. It's not our responsibility. It's not something we have to do to have God hear our prayers. It's just naturally who we are if i have faith in god i will also love my brother uh on my desk on my desk i have a basketball card of my friend bob warren yes there it is that is on my desk Bob did not sign that for me. After he died, I found that on eBay. And I bought it. And it sits there uh, because he is one of the greatest teachers that I ever knew. I love that man. And that verse right there, Romans ten seventeen, that he put on that card that I had already read here today. It says, so faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. It's all about Jesus. You know, uh, Friday night, we were hanging out with some friends at dinner time, and Michelle started talking. We were talking about the Lord's Supper. We were talking about doing the Lord's Supper, and Michelle started telling this story about... uh, one time in her life when she was we were getting ready to partake in a church service lord's supper that the pastor got up and said if you uh have someone in the room that you haven't forgiven that you need to get up and go ask for their forgiveness before you take the lord's supper (laughs) and someone got up and came to michelle i loved it it was awkward 
And this lady asked for her forgiveness so that she could literally take the Lord's Supper. And it was it was just strange that, okay, you can't take this until you've actually forgiven. Like, you've taken this passage of Scripture very literally about an action and you've, you've added legalism to it. I get that there's an issue about forgiveness. I get that. Forgiveness is of others of others is really something that we do as believers as an ongoing thing. It ha- I I have to forgive people every day. <laughs> I do. It's it's my it's probably my issue. It's it's probably my issue. I laugh because people get mad at me for things that I did and I don't even know what I did. You know? And yet I do the same thing to people. I get mad at them for, and they don't even know it. And so this whole forgiveness thing comes out of a heart of if faith is based out of love, I can overlook a lot of things that go on out here and just say, hey, I'm a goober, you're a goober, but we're all on the same team. We are all on the same team, and I love you. God doesn't continually forgive us each time we ask for forgiveness. Hello? There's a reason for that. It's because he already did. In Hebrews 9, verse 22, he says, According to the law... Almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We do not earn God's forgiveness by forgiving one another. That is a byproduct of us being believers and followers of Jesus Christ. So to say, you can't take the Lord's Supper until you've forgiven one another is kind of absurd. And I believe when Jesus is saying, look, unless you forgive others, then God can't forgive you. He's literally talking about your habitual unforgiveness, and he's talking about those who are probably unredeemed. He's literally saying, if you don't have forgiveness for others, then you're probably not saved. And so it will be hard for my father to forgive your sins when you don't even believe that he's the Messiah. That's what he's saying. And then we even take it a little bit further. If I stay in Hebrews and bump down to Hebrews chapter 10, it says, but in the sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year after year. Like the the Jews had to go back to the temple every year and make a sacrifice for sins. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They would bring a perfect lamb. This is Passover. This is what Jesus was literally walking into town for was this Passover and they would bring their perfect sacrificial animal and they would lay it before the priest and the priest would slice the throat open of the animal and the blood would pour out over the altar and their sins would be atoned for that means they would just be covered and then they would go home and they would repeat this process every year that's what the Jews did It says, therefore, 
in verse 5, as he was coming into the world, he said, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, see, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. After he says above, you did not desire delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, see, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. He takes away the first covenant to establish a second covenant. Everything that you were doing about coming here every year and making that sacrifice for your sins to be atoned for, I'm bringing a new way of doing it. A new covenant. It says, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. <laughs> How many times did Jesus die? And he took care of all sin, all the way from Adam, all the way to stuff that's not even done yet, right? He's not going to die again. He died once he's not going to get up on that cross again and die for more sin that you have haven't done yet he dealt with it he dealt with it already one time once for all the blood of the bulls and goats couldn't do all it did was cover it jesus actually forgave it one time Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which offering one sacrifice for sins forever sat down at the right. But this, oh, sorry, let me read that again. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifice time after time, which can never take away sins. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. We're talking about Jesus up on the cross, blood poured out, perfect blood as a sacrifice for your sins and forgave all sin. Now he sits at the right hand of God. He is now waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. That's what we're waiting for. All that fear stuff that Ron was like singing about up here. I'm waiting for that to be a footstool. It's going to be. It's already been accomplished. For by one offering, <laughs> he has perfected. Hello? For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. Who is sanctified? Hello, yes, that's you. You're sanctified, so you are now perfect because of what Jesus did. I get it. I know you still sin. I really don't care about what you do. I care about who you are. And who you are is that he's perfected you. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. For after he says... This is the covenant I will make with them after those days. The Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. 
you struggle with sin and he's already like dealt with it and forgot about it. If you could just if you could just figure out how to walk this walk with the spirit and forget the sin. I'm not saying just go out and <laughs> maybe I am. You do what the Spirit leads you to do. And I promise you, you won't struggle with sin. I get there's a battle going on up here. I get it. I get it. I get that there's mountains that need to be moved. I I get it. I get there's this power of sin that dwells in our earthly flesh and he's beating us up. you just need to remember this he has perfected you he has already beaten satan and i will never again remember the sins and their lawless acts now where there is forgiveness of these there is no longer an offering for sin i don't have to sit there and ask for forgiveness every night he forgave me one time and in that he perfected me and so today standing before you here on easter sunday morning you're looking at a holy redeemed child of god and i look out here and i see holy redeemed forgiven perfected children prince and princesses of the father i can sit here and look at all the stuff you do but i'd rather not I'll just look at you for who you are if you promise to do the same thing for me. And it's in that, it's in that that Easter Sunday, I celebrate every day. My Savior rose from the dead, is sitting at the right hand of God, and they sent this Spirit to take residence inside of me, and He walks with me. And I don't have to memorize the law. He tells me how to live my life. I just have to know him and listen to him and obey him. And I do that because I love him. Not because it's my duty, not because it's my responsibility. It just naturally happens because I know the Father. I know the Father. And so today, uh, we come... most places do this Lord's Supper the Sunday before because they want to get into that emotional look what Jesus went to the cross and did for us. And that Thursday night before, I know the disciples were stressed out. They were freaking out that their friend was getting ready to go to the cross, that they was getting ready to die, that he was getting ready to leave them. They figured it out later in Acts that they got the bigger, better deal. They got the Father living inside of them. The Spirit living inside of them. And when Jesus says, I want you guys to remember this, remember this day, I think it's pretty celebratory. Just like we celebrate Easter that Jesus rose from the dead, that I can sit here and I can take the Lord's Supper and remember that his body was broken and his blood was poured out and I can give great praise and thanks for that.
because it's a beautiful thing. And so today, that's what we've come to do. We're about to take the Lord's Supper together here on Easter Sunday as a family. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is I've got uh, this place right here, uh, back here by the Bias. You guys might want to like pull that out a little bit. And then over here by Big John, if some of you would like man those stations and just help people with that. But I'm going to ask you to, uh, I'm going to pray and then you're going to get up and you're going to go to one of those stations and get you uh, a piece of bread and a, a cup of juice and return to your seat. And we'll take the Lord's Supper together this morning. So, Father, uh, thank you for loving us. Thank you for uh, life. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for Easter. Just thank you for... Uh, Thank you for this family. And even those that are uh, traveling right now, I pray that you would just keep them safe. But Lord, as we come here right now, uh, just to participate in the Lord's Supper, I pray that your presence that is absolutely in this room becomes alive and enlightened to each one that's sitting here right now. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.